We are in a season in our country, in our culture, even the world, where many will try and tell us that other people are still not like us, still not as good as us. They need to be feared. Their stories don't count. And in that place we find ourselves still, perhaps the best way out to building the world we dream about is first to just listen, to hear stories that are not our own, and to not just tolerate, but to welcome, accept, love, embrace people for who they are, as they are. And in that spirit, we have people who have very graciously agreed to speak with you this morning, offer a little bit of their stories and what they see and what things look like to them. Please welcome them wholeheartedly. Wow, I feel so tall up here. Good morning, everybody. Um, So my name is Kay. I am 25. I am genderqueer. I'm pansexual. Uh, My ethnic background is Mexican and Jewish, so I'm a Mexi-Jew. I just want to start off with a couple of questions just to to feel where everyone is at. So are all babies that are born with a penis going to be interested in girls when they grow up? No, not necessarily. Um, Are all babies that are born with vaginas going to enjoy wearing dresses later in life? No? All right. Great. (laughs) All right, so um, when I was four, uh, my family lived in Pohnpei, which is an island in the Pacific Ocean, Um, And my mom got me this beautiful golden bathing suit. It was shiny and awesome, and I liked it a lot. But I also liked climbing coconut trees. Um, And immediately when I got my bathing suit, I climbed up a coconut tree and got it really scratched up. And she got mad at me, but in in my pros and cons, I weighed being rambunctious and going out and exploring the world more than keeping my uh, gold bathing suit pretty. (laughs) Um, When I was seven, I did ballet folklorico, which is Mexican folk dancing. Um, And I really liked wearing the charro suits more than wearing the dresses. Um, Partially because the skirts have a lot of ribbons on them, depending on what region you're dancing from. Um, And the skirts can be really heavy. Also, they cover up your feet, so you can't see all of the sweet moves I was doing. Um, Somewhere in that time, around when I was 10 or something, I knew that I started having crushes on boys. I didn't realize that I was having crushes on girls. I couldn't really put the words to it because I didn't have any examples um, to know what to look for (laughs) or to even look for that. Um, When I was 12, uh, I was in seventh grade, and there was a really friendly janitor on campus who noticed that I liked being loud and rambunctious and spirited, and he told me that I should be a cheerleader. Um, Why does that make me cry? 
guess, I guess I haven't like processed this before. before. Um, I think in another life, in another world, in another place, I could have done that and been happy with that. But I didn't like all the implications. I didn't like the idea of wearing a dress um, or the fact that it was all girls. I wanted to hang out with all sorts of people. Um, so I never became a cheerleader. Um, when I was 15, I had a boyfriend. Um, shortly thereafter, we broke up, and I had a, a best friend who was a girl, and we got along really well, and um, we ended up, you know, cuddling and eventually kissing, and we ended up dating. But because she had a mom who was really strict, she... Um, she didn't want to label herself as gay or bisexual or queer or any of those, so we labeled ourselves as straight with exceptions. <laughs> it worked for us at the time. Um, zoom ahead to uh, college when I was 19. Um, I finally came out one day. Um, I, was, I was having an audition, and they were asking like what I could bring to the community, um, it was for the vagina monologues. And I said, I'm bisexual. And saying that felt so good. It felt like a big weight was off my shoulders. Like I was admitting something that I had been feeling guilty about or ashamed of. Um, and it was something to own and be proud of. Um, around that time, I guess I also started wearing a lot of flannel or sort of tracking the progression of my, my clothing. Um, and then when I was 21, I had an assignment in my female sexuality class to push the boundaries of my gender. And I had had really long hair up to this point. Um, I mean, it was like down to my butt at some points when I was a kid. Um, and I cut my hair short, and it felt really good. It felt like my hair should have been like this all this time, like... Somehow I felt like I was keeping my hair long for my mom. <laughs> um, and she was, she was disappointed, but she lived. Um, and then a little after that, um, when I was in the vagina monologues, I was in a piece that was about transgender women. So I learned about what it means to be transgender, which is to be not the gender that you were assigned at birth um, and stamped with a label. Um, and I, I realized that I am genderqueer, which to me means that I'm somewhere between or a combination of being a man and a woman. And um, that feels really good to me. And at some point, in order to get people to kind of understand who I am um, visually, not just look at me and call me ma'am automatically, I, um, I started wearing binders, and eventually I got top surgery, so I don't have breasts anymore. Um, it's taking testosterone and um, it feels good, my body feels good to me and I like how I present and how people see me more often as who I am um, and this past Christmas I went to my partner's grandmother's house and she makes Christmas jammies for everybody she makes one kind for the men and boys and another kind for the women and girls 
and I was kind of wondering what kind of jammies I would get. Um, and she's like an older Latina woman, and so I wouldn't necessarily expect her to get who I am. Um, but she made me the boys' pants with the girls' top. <laughs> um, and the girls' tops were V-necks and kind of low-cut, and when she had met me before, I had had breasts, and then this Christmas I didn't. Um, so I kind of looked like Ricky Martin, but it was fine, um, and it, it felt good to be acknowledged and um, seen in that way. Um, yeah, so that was probably one of the best Christmas presents I've ever had. Thanks. Good morning. Thank you for inviting us into this beautiful sanctuary. I grew up as a um, Roman Catholic. Both my parents are Italian, and that just came along with that culture. That, uh, at least where I grew up, that's if you were Italian, you were Roman Catholic, and that was the end of the story. And so I went to our Catholic church, and I went to Sunday school, and I was. Uh, confirmed, um, but I knew what the message was for me as a gay man, even though I was not out. Uh, I was dating girls until I was 19. But the message was clear that the Catholic Church was not supportive of me and people like me, and uh, I needed to change if I was going to stay in that congregation. Uh, and I just knew in my heart that that wasn't going to happen. And so I left the church at age 14 when I went away to school. I went to a boarding school. And on Sundays, we did have chapel. Um, but it was uh, non-denominational, um, probably some form of Protestant. But I never went. I slept late on Sunday mornings. Uh, because I just didn't feel any connection at all to anything uh, religious or um, even perhaps spiritual of that nature. And I went away to college, and I came out as gay at 19, uh, similar to Kay. Uh, maybe not so similar, but uh, the age at least. And um, started dating guys and... Uh, having my first real relationships, even though, you know, I dated girls. Um, but, you know, when you're gay and you're dating a girl, um, it just feels a little awkward. You know, like you're just not right, you're not in the right film or the right picture. Um, and so once I started dating guys, I got, I got it. I knew what everybody was talking about um, when I was growing up with my friends who were straight and having girlfriends and the things that they were telling me about their relationships um, that I just couldn't relate to, you know, having a girlfriend. It just didn't make any sense to me. Um, but it made a lot of sense at 19, dating guys. And I didn't think I would ever go back to church. I just didn't, didn't think that that was in the cards for me. Um, but I met my husband, Tom, in Connecticut. And um, we started dating. And soon after that, he was moving to Randolph, Massachusetts. And so I moved with him. And we were living, we still do live in the same house in Randolph. And shortly thereafter, um, the country really started changing with this concept of same-sex marriage. 
And we were a couple. I thought of him as my spouse and actually uh, being involved in Speak Out. Um, one of the other directors, I was on the board of directors for a few years. She called her partner her wife, and I thought that was pretty amazing, you know, even though they technically weren't married legally. And so I started calling Tom my husband, and um, I think he liked it, but he was like, you know, well, you know, no one, no one asked me to marry them. Uh, I don't, I'm not anybody's husband. And, uh, so um, when the time came that it became legal in 2004... Uh, I bought rings, and I made dinner. And after dinner, I reached down under the couch, and I pulled out the ring for Tom, and I gave it to him. And he said yes, which was an encouraging <laughs> reply. <laughs> um, but then, of course, you decide, like, well, okay, so now we're engaged, but, you know, what is it, what are we going to do about a wedding uh, you know, Tom didn't grow up religious at all. His, his family rarely went to church. My family went to church every Sunday, 1130 Mass. You know, it was, uh, there wasn't even a question in your mind. Um, and so I wanted a wedding that was going to be something that my, my family would, would understand, being Roman Catholic, Italian, we get married in churches. It's just the way we do things. We don't get married on the beach or on a mountaintop. It's just, it's not in the cards. You know, it's not our culture. So I was involved with an organization, South Shore Civil Marriage for All, and late in 2004, Mass Equality called me and said, um, for those who don't, Mass Equality was the organization working in Massachusetts for, for legalization of same-sex marriage. And so they called me and said, we'd like to, uh, for you to just call all the churches in Randolph and find out who's performing same-sex marriages. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And so there were 11 churches and synagogues. I called every one. I called the Catholic churches because I said, I will call them all. And, of course, the two Catholic churches said, no, we, we don't do that. And the, the two temples said, no, we're not doing that. And then I called the congregational church, and this woman answered the phone, and she said, why, yes, honey, we do. And she called me honey. I was like, this has got to be a cool place, you know, where this woman, you know, gets on the phone with a stranger, and she calls me honey. So I hung up the phone, and that was the only church out of 11 that said yes. All the other 10 said no. And so when Tom came home, I said, you know, there's a church in Randolph performing same-sex marriages. He goes, yeah, which one? I said, it was the Congregational Church. I said, we should go down there this Sunday. You know, they have, they have service at 10 o'clock. We should go down and check them out. So Tom was like, sure, you want to do that? Sure. So we went down, and um, I had never been in this building. I had lived in town for, well, you know, 15 years. I had never entered this building, and I did, and... Um, Nothing like this. Uh, congregational churches are, are very plain and simple. Um, but I like it. And the, mess, the best thing I like about it is when you walk down the aisle, the, at the very top of the, uh, the altar area, is, um, it's just a gold cross 
And at the very top, it says three words, God is love. And that was the most amazing thing for me, to hear that and to know that I was part of that, that I was part of this love, and therefore it made me part of God. And I wanted to be part of that again. So we really haven't missed a service since. Um, and then again, when it came time to have our wedding, I, you know, I convinced Tom to have it in the church. And he was fine with that. And people came in. And my family's huge. Typical, you know, Italians. I'm one of six. I have 35 first cousins. Tom's one of three. He has no first cousins. Um, <laughs> But he was okay with that. You know, and his, some of his family and friends came, and a lot of my family came. And um, we were up at the altar, and my parents came. And my parents were not supportive of me coming out and, and being a gay man. That just wasn't in the cards for them. You know, I'm, I'm the only son of six, and my job was to marry a woman and have children, preferably some male children, uh, who would then carry on the line. And so for a while, my parents were estranged. But by this point in 2005, um, they had come around and they enjoyed or were accepting and um, understanding of the fact that Tom and I were a couple and we were happy and loving each other. And that was a good thing for me uh, and for Tom. So they were in the front pew and the minister pronounced us legally wed, and we faced the congregation, everybody was applauding, I held Tom's hand up, and I looked down at the front pew, and my parents were sitting there crying with joy. It was the most amazing day of my life, which maybe some of you who are married, maybe you've had a similar experience. And so... Um, that's the story of my reconnection with God. Thank you. Good morning. Um, thank you. I'm going to echo um, Kay and Paul. Thank you for um, welcoming us and for hearing our stories. Um, this is a beautiful building and a beautiful day, and um, thank you. Uh, my name is Sue. I identify as bisexual and queer. Um, Queer is a word that has some controversy within the LGBTQIA community. Um, back in the day when I grew up in the uh, 60s and 70s, I'm, fi I'm 52, um, queer was used as a um, derogatory word um, to describe people in our community. Um, many of us have reclaimed it to be um, something very affirming. I personally use it because it's easier than saying LGBTQIA all the time. <laughs> um, um, but it is it is a word that um, is sometimes fraught with a, with a little bit of history because of that. So I'm going to tell a little a story about um, about my coming out process and finding community um, in a place where I really never thought I would, I would find community. Um, so it starts with, I was born in 1964, so I grew up in the 1960s and 70s um, in a small town in Connecticut. Um, well before the internet, um, our source of knowledge was the public library, and the geek that I was, I spent a lot of time at the public library. Um, but really very, very, um, you know, lovely town, good schools, etc. but 
um, you know, you were very much exposed to what you were exposed to in that town. There wasn't a wide area. And I knew from the time I was probably, I was about 13 or 14, that I wasn't straight, but there wasn't a word for bisexual. The word for gay existed and people talked about it, but usually in a very derogatory way, but bisexual wasn't a word you ever heard. Um, so it, never, it didn't occur to me what, what, I, what I really was. Um, I was fortunate that I had a very close friend who was male and who was gay and for that time was fairly out. And um, because he was different from other people around, I could, I could identify in the feeling of um, not necessarily feeling like I fit in. Um, so fast forward, I went, I, um, went to college and um, my family had... We didn't, in my family, we didn't talk about sexuality. We really didn't talk about anything related to that. But it was made very clear that um, heterosexual was the way to go. And, and my mother would frequently make um, derisive comments about her um, roommate from college. She had gone to a women's college who, um, back in the 50s, um, was gay. So it was very clear that that wasn't, that wasn't acceptable. So we were talking one day about my friend who was gay, and she made one of her many comments about, um, derisive comments about him. And so I said to her, and I was probably 20 at the time, I said, well, you know, Mom, what if I told you that I was gay? And she said, well, she said, well, I'd throw you out of the family and throw you out of the house, and you wouldn't ever be a member of this family again. So I decided to stay closeted um, to my family and to um, everybody else. So... A couple of years later, I was graduated from college. Um, I met somebody at work who was quite quite a bit younger than me. She was twenty. Um, she was in uh, in high school, which of course at that age is a big big difference. Um, and she identified as bisexual, although, and she sometimes used the word. But it was the first time I had met someone who was open to themselves about being attracted to all genders. Um, so that was very affirming to me, and that started with me the process of. Um, coming out to myself and being comfortable with myself with who I was. And so from my mid-20s on, I was very out to myself and very comfortable with being attracted to all genders. Um, I still remain closeted because I was afraid of the response I would get from people and I was afraid of the rejection. Um, Fast forward many years, I think in my in my in my um, biography it mentions that um, I have a horse. Anybody here have horses or animals? Yeah, yay, yay horses, yay animals. Um, so my ho- I was boarding my horse um, at a farm, and through there, um, in this area, through there I met a woman who um, was gorgeous and was married to a man, and because of some other things going on in my life and because of meeting her, I felt like I finally had to start to come out to the world. And um, I'm going to call her for purposes of the discussion, June, because she's not out really publicly. And um, so I developed this like terrible crush on her, just like, hor- like horrible, like I like, couldn't even look at her. The, you ever have that, like that crush? Like you just can't, right? But like here we are with our horses every day and it's like this thing that's this big part of my life. So I said, oh, like I gotta come out to her. So, and she was always talking about her husband. So I just thought there's like, you know, like nothing there. So, um, 
but because of what had been instilled in me earlier in life, I was still very afraid of this. Um, within this, I discovered the resources of an organization which is based in Boston, but because of the beauty of the internet, reaches worldwide, and that is the Bisexual Resource Center, um, which is a just wonderful, wonderful group for you know anybody in that in that community. Um, so one day, I like got up the courage to tell June, and this is like I was so nervous, and I was standing there with my horse because I thought, well. Once I tell her if it's really awkward, I have the excuse of saying, well, I'm just going to go ride my horse. <laughs> so, standing here with my horse. And I told her. And she said, oh, I'm bisexual too. Who would have known? So, um, she's still with her, with her husband, and we've, we're friends. There was never a romantic relationship, and that was fine. But um, in the, since then, that was in 2010, since then, as I've, um, you know, I'm now out to everybody um, in my life, um, except my mother, but I think she knows because everybody else knows, and at this point, and this is going to be broadcast, so, hi, Mom. <laughs> um, but that was um, just such a, um, you know, coming out to her, to June, and to other, you know, others was ended up actually being very affirming, and it was amazing the number of people who I came out to who said, "Yeah, I'm bisexual," or "I'm, um, you know, I'm gay," or or something, or you know, something like that. So it can be a very affirming process too. So thank you. We have all been very good at remaining in our staid New England culture while listening to our guests, but I would like us to break that if we can and show our appreciation for them visiting and speaking because we're very grateful. The sermon continues today. Don't worry, I'm not going to speak much. But at coffee hour, her hospitality, we'll have an ongoing conversation. There'll be an opportunity to ask questions for our guests to ask questions of us, for us to ask questions of them. And um, it's okay to feel a little uncomfortable. We've been doing this education a year now, and I hope if nothing else has happened that everyone is getting more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because those of us with lots of things checked off in the privilege column, male, white, heterosexual, cisgendered, Christian, Okay, yeah, I have all the advantages. And I think what we see happening out in the world around us in so many ways right now is that people who have enjoyed all those privileges are starting to be uncomfortable. That all the other people are saying, um, we're not going to be uncomfortable anymore. And now for the first time, in a really widespread way, the people who have been comfortable are feeling uncomfortable too and they don't like it. Well... We all have that in many different ways, that discomfort caused by many different things. And lo and behold, it's one of the things that makes us all human. So it's okay to have that part of your humanity, especially in church, because as you know, I say all the time, church is a place where we practice just being human.